we're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. We've been hung. We've been shot. I think the most difficult part is to see, like, people still don't care. I got a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old and a 15-year-old. And I'm trying to prevent from being hunted. I'm proud of what the guys and the women are doing. As we would say, a unified people always defeat unified money. And I'm just proud. I'm proud of what I'm seeing take place. It's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. ESPN Audio and the undefeated proudly partner in the intersection or sports and social justice meet. Now alongside L. Duncan, here's Clinton Yates. It's the intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM Channel 80. The news of the day is obvious. It comes from inside the bubble. That would be in Orlando. That would be the National Basketball Association. That would be what happened in the last few days regarding what some people are calling a boycott, what I am calling a strike, or more specifically, a walkout. We'll get to that later. But the question is this, because the headline says here, source, NBA players decide to resume playoffs. That's what happened after the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to take the floor for game five. The rest of the games of the day were canceled yesterday, and we've seen a rolling story of news, basically, L, about what's happening in the league, outside of the league, in terms of what everybody wants. Two questions. Again, what are your thoughts on the last two days, and are you glad to see the NBA resume play out? Um, well, I mean, my thoughts on the last two days, there are have been my thoughts, Clinton, since we started this show on Juneteenth, and my thoughts since we have been talking about this since George Floyd died, and since Ahmaud Arbery was murdered, and for the last four years where we have seen um, an absolutely inflammation of this country of racism and terror, right? So mm. um, I'm frankly exhausted, um, like you are, like most of us are, uh, but what I'm... I'm I'm glad that and I think it started, you know, even a week ago when we were talking about Masai Ujiri, right, and how he was yeah. treated by um, the police and how it came out that, you know, they called him all kinds of names and then doubled down on that despite the body cam footage coming out, despite the fact that he was clearly not the instigator in that incident on the court. And it just continues. And it feels like you know, that's the best case scenario where no one got hurt. And here we are again, sort of having this visceral reaction to another, you know, black man being shot in the back. And on top of that. It's worse when you see this 17-year-old, um, for all intents and purposes, someone who was a, you know, literally drove to these protests in Kenosha to do exactly this, to start trouble, who would walk up and kill protesters and to see on national television, on actual news networks that people trust that they're advocating for 17-year-old vigilantism because this is where we're at in this country. It's just... Frankly, Clinton, I don't really know how to believe or how to feel. You know, I'm yeah. I'm a wash of emotions. Um, in terms of the NBA players deciding to continue to play, they're trying to figure it out, Clinton. I'm really yeah. proud of them for doing this. You know, I was on SportsCenter yesterday afternoon before this was actually a thing, when it was really just the Raptors and, and Celtics uh, sort of discussing whether they were going to do this or not. And I asked my researcher at the time, I was like, have we ever seen anybody do this in the NBA? And he, you know, he... he 
went on his on his computer and he dug up 1961 when Bill Russell and a handful of other Celtics decided to strike. And I like that you're making that distinction. I'm I'm really um, excited to sort of hear your explanation of that. But you decided to strike an exhibition game because of their treatment in Kentucky when they were refused service. But that's the only time we'd seen it. That's the only time we'd seen, and it was an exhibition game. It's the only time we'd seen anybody in the NBA really use their power to say, we are no longer interested in being your convenient distraction. Like we are going to take your distraction away and you will understand we are citizens before we are entertainers. So I think it was impactful and powerful in many ways, but they're just trying to figure this out, Clinton. So in terms of, you know, anybody that feels like, well, this was just symbolism or for show, because at the end of the day, you're going to pick up that basketball on Saturday. Um, I have no qualms about that. I don't know. How, how do you feel? I think your point about the wash of emotions is a very good one. And the reason why I think all of this is so important and why this sort of boycott strike thing, again, which we'll get to later, is important is because so often we are required to have the best answer, the final answer, and that be our first answer. That's not where we are in the bubble here, okay? Mm -hmm. You heard Doc Rivers. You heard Paul George. You've heard various players come out and talk about this. Nobody knows anymore what's going to happen with the mental state of the NBA players in the bubble than we know what's going to happen with the numbers of COVID-19 in this country. It is as unpredictable, not for the same reasons, but for different reasons, and it should be, and we should allow for that. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Clinton Yates. She's L. Duncan. Speaking of emotional reactions, let's hear what Troy Vincent, NFL Executive VP of Football Operations, had to say on KJZ. Proud? Man, this this guy... Gather yourself, Troy. Gather yourself. This got to end. Gather yourself. I'm I'm so proud. You got it, it, brother. You got it. Of these young boys, these young men and women, they did things that I, I didn't think about doing. I always fought for the community, but during my time, we thought we had a handle on it, and obviously we didn't. But when I saw Doc Rivers and LeBron and George Hill, it's I think about my three boys, and I'm sitting up here every day having conversation about contact tracing and are we going to play ball? And I got a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old and a 15-year-old and I'm trying to prevent from being hunted in their teachable moments and I'm trusting my Lord, trusting them. I'm just I'm proud of what the guys and the women are doing. As we would say, a unified people always defeat unified money. And I'm just proud. I'm proud of what I'm seeing take place. Those of you of a certain age remember Troy Vincent as a hard-hitting DB for the Philadelphia Eagles. I would say fiery is the word I would use. And that level of emotion is something that is very palpable and very understandable for a lot of black folks. Though. I mean, like, listen to this this man, like you said, a hard-hitting DB, right? The man runs the NFLPA. He's an executive Doc Rivers is damn near 60 years old to be deduced to to tears because of generational trauma. Like some of you that are listening right now that keep hearing these sort of phrases thrown around this phraseology around racism and inequality thrown around the last, 
you know, few months who have been too lazy to recognize what it actually is. Well, when you hear generational trauma, that's what the hell they're talking about. Doc Rivers is crying because he's 60 years old and because his family and his parents, when they were 60, probably hoped that Doc Rivers wouldn't be talking about this same crap when he was 60. And I imagine that Doc hopes that he doesn't have to one day watch his son, Austin Rivers at 60, talk about the same thing too. It's like, when? When? That's where the frustration comes for me. Like, when? You think we like this? You think that we like being vulnerable on television and talking about this? You think anybody gets off on this? Listen to Troy Vincent. You think that we're making too much of it? We're over-exaggerating? These are grown men that would love to be talking about their respective sports. And they're crying and they're bleeding on national television, on national radio. What else? How do you not have an ounce of compassion? How you can listen to something like that and then go, okay, fair, but, like, I just, I just don't know, like, when, when? And you know what, Clinton, in terms of, like, well, what do I feel about the players? It's not on us. Why is it on us? Why is it on black people to tell you what the illness is, to treat it, to find a cure? Like, it's not on us. It's not on the oppressed. It's on the oppressor. You figure it out. You You want your basketball back? You figure it out. I'll tell you why it's on us. Because we built this country for free. Coming up, why should this be considered a strike and not a boycott? We'll talk about that next. It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio. She's L. Duncan. I'm Clinton Yates. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. John in Buffalo, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? Yeah, great to be on. Uh, You know, I think now is the time when the players from all the sports, we're seeing all the sports react to this and, you know, whether continue to play, don't play, whatever it is, but now's the time for them to seize the moment. You know, what do they have? They got the notoriety and then they have the relationships with the people that have money and start putting pressure on. Something's got to change. This is crazy. What's people getting shot in the back. Are you kidding me? This is just, and what is, what else goes on that we don't even hear about, you know? So the whole thing is just insane. I appreciate that call. Let me ask you a question, though, John. What do you do in your life for this cause if you think it is important to America? Well, I I coach youth football, actually, and uh, I do get kids from the city. And, you know, we have all kinds of pressure with that uh, from the, the homes that they come from. And this year is just a catastrophe. You know, the kids aren't getting out and getting the activity and the break from the the lives that they live, uh, you know, and and that's one of my main things that I do, uh, and that's just a regular thing that I do all the time. Uh, okay. Right now, with everything going on, I'm just trying to keep my business floating through this pandemic. Thanks for the phone call. Appreciate that. I mean, I only turned that question around not to bust them out, but because I genuinely want to know. A lot of people got a lot of suggestions uh-huh. for everybody else, and if you're going to call up this program or really just walk down the street and talk to your neighbor telling everybody else what everybody else should be doing, well, I would like to know what you're doing. And that's a fair question from sure. a black person to anybody else in America. Else. Right. And also one that we've gotten quite a bit of, right? As black people, yes. like you get the, the white friends calling like, what can I do? How can I help? And, uh, and there's a couple of times where, again, not to be petty, but I've sort of given some suggestions. And then when they say things like, I never even thought of that before, I go, you can literally Google, what can I do to be a white ally? And this whole list will come up for you to start. But I, I'm glad that you sort of mentioned, like, I want to know your thoughts on something because yesterday I tweeted something um, that, you know, got a little bit of reach. And as soon as I tweeted it and people started responding to it, I follow you on Twitter, obviously. And you said something sort of to the contrary that made me stop and sort of pause and say, 
Wow. Okay. He's really right. So I tweeted, you know, basically the significance of this quote unquote boycott by the NBA that we'd only ever seen NBA players boycott one other time. And that was 1961 with Bill Russell uh, and the Celtics. And I, I was scrolling through and saw your tweet that basically said a boycott and a strike are not the same thing. And it is very important to know the distinction. And I would love for you to explain why that is. Thank you. The reason why the distinction is so important is because when it comes down to what black folks do to take action in matters across America, if you misidentify or overstate what it is that you're seeing, it means that you're not going to be able to understand anything in between. And as a result, the heightened level of intensity of almost every interaction prevents you from getting to the safe place to begin with. So if I have a basic dispute with you and you basically say, oh, well, that's an attack. It's like, well, no, hold on, all right? Every dispute is not a fight. And in a situation in which players who feel that their humanity is being tested, who don't like the situation that they're in, whatever the reason may be, if they simply walk away, that's not a boycott. That's technically known as a wildcat strike in labor terms, but that's not really important now. The reason why a boycott is an important thing to understand the distinction of is because it is a targeted, tailored effort to try to bring an institution, a business, or any other um, you know, large whatever to its knees by directly affecting the people who do it. You know, So back in the day when people stopped riding the bus in the South, it wasn't because they just wanted to prove that it wasn't cool to not treat black people correctly. They were legitimately saying, if you don't have our money, you're probably going to go out of business. Right. And the direct correlation between the organizational efforts that take a boycott and all of these specific, um, you know, just things you have to do from a logistics standpoint are very real, you know. And so the pressure and the specific planning that it takes to do and to actually boycott, that's not what happened here. Do not put that pressure on these guys because it should not have to get to that point anyway for them to have this kind of a break. In the 80s and 90s, when I grew up in D.C., my parents worked in international development. One of the biggest things that they did and continue to do as I grew up was they worked in southern Africa, an apartheid regime. You can look that up on your own. The Shell Oil Company was often boycotted. My older sister would stand out with her friends at the daggone Shell on Georgia Avenue and tell people, do not support this business because of their ties to that government. Okay, it was something that the U.N. had even gone so far as to tell its member states to do 20 years prior. And that led to academic boycotts all across the country that eventually led people to ostracize the nation in general. That is a boycott. Young brothers that are upset about their situation in terms of their mental health, their physical health and what's going on around the country walking out. That's called needing a break. And that should be good enough. And if we overstate what's happening with just a basic expression of agency and humanity with these young men, well, then when they finally are in a position to tell you all these things that you want to hear, you're not going to be able to recognize it. And you're going to act like they're trying to start a war when they're not. They're really just exercising what it is that they can do. And once they figure out what it is they want to do, how they want to do it. And you've got to let that pace move along at the rate it needs to for the sake of the people who are the disenfranchised ones to begin with. Black folks paint our own path to safety. That is why this is critical to understand here, L. If you overplay it, you're misunderstanding what's happening and everything in between. And that, to me, is dangerous. I agree. And in fact, you wrote an entire article for this on the undefeated as well. You can guys can go and find it on the undefeated dot com. Clinton has a lot of great pieces on there. And in fact, there's a lot of great stories up there. But I think it, you know, 
not that you didn't perfectly illustrate your point there, but if they would like to get a little digger, a deep, a little bit digger into the matter. Um, I don't know if we have time, but I think very quickly because you did bring up mental health and Mm -hmm. I would love to be able to play this Paul George from a couple of days ago. Everyone was asking where is you know Paul George it was very fun to call him pandemic P he talked about very openly and candidly about his struggles mentally in the bubble the bubble got the best of me um, I was just in a dark place I really wasn't here I checked out so these past couple games it was just it was just difficult but you know shout out the people that stood behind me that was in my corner uh, the positivity my teammates my family friends um, everybody, um, thank everybody that reached out to me. I was just in a bad place, and um, I found my way. I'm back, and um, I look forward to the rest of this run. The reason why that's important is because you have to understand, when black folks tell you we are hurting, when black folks tell you something is wrong, or when black folks tell you you're out of pocket, believe us. It ain't about what you intended to do. It ain't about what somebody else did that was less bad than what you did. It's about believing us as a foundational method for how you treat all of us. That is important. If every single time a black person tells you, this does not work for me, you go on to list all the reasons why you are not yourself, specifically some kind of a racist or a bigot, you are part of the problem. All you got to do is listen and believe us and let that educate how you treat everybody. It's smarter. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. It's The Intersection on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. The program is presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Clinton Yates. She's L. Duncan. You can find us on Twitter, at Clinton Yates and at L. Duncan ESPN. Joining us right now on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line is Bill Roden of The Undefeated. You've known his work for years across the sports journalism world as one of the brothers that's been doing it and been letting y'all know what's going on with the world. His column of The Undefeated says, Headline, with the NBA bubble burst, players turn frustration into action. What's next not only for the NBA but the other pro leagues too? Bill, thank you for joining us here on the program. I guess I'll just ask you, since the news has developed, since your column published, how do you feel about the fact that the players have said reportedly that they're just going to come back and play at this point? Yeah. Well, first of all, hey, uh, Clinton, hey, Al, uh, hey. thanks for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the new headline is that the, the uh, bubble hadn't burst after all. And um, I guess I have mixed feelings that at, at one level, you know, it's easy for, uh, you know, I've worked at a couple of newspapers and we actually went on strike. So I know what that's like. And it's easy for those of us in the media to um, spend other people's money and uh, send other people out to battle when, you know, we're not battling anything. We're not risking anything. Um, Having said that, you know, progress has always been about confrontation, has always been about risk and consequences. You know, uh, the Montgomery boycott, bus boycott lasted for (laughs) two days. It was a year, and there was brutalization and all that kind of stuff. So, and that's a long-winded way of saying that um, there's a, a big part of me that was waiting for um, a prolonged uh, uh, boycott to really uh, test the metal. Uh, but I also understand the reality of business. Of guys needed checks. You know, uh, it was a business decision. So. You know, 
uh, kind of everybody goes to the beach except progress. You know, the NBA is going to get what it wants. Um, you know, so yeah, that, that, that's how I feel, that um, big picture, uh, the confrontation that would have taken place had they continued to boycott would have been uh, great. Um, but I understand uh, the business reality. But, you know, they've got to understand that, uh, you know, Frederick Douglass said, you know, you know, decades ago that they're without, um, uh, now I'm messing up his quote, but without uh, protest, uh, there is no progress. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, kind of how I feel. Bill, uh, you wrote an article for The Undefeated uh, that's up right now, um, theundefeated.com, and in it you say about the, the, the player strike, and in it you say if players are to turn their rage and frustration into action, they'll need the muscle of the multi-billionaires who own NBA teams and run the league. This is the only way. Do you actually expect that these billionaires will dip their toes into the social justice waters uh, for fear yeah, that well- they might not have a product? Yeah, and I'm glad you focused on that because to me that's the bigger picture. That until these uh, multi-billionaires get involved in this uh, project, you know, they roll up their sleeves and and um, put their muscle in this, put their economic muscle, their political muscle. Um, the players are essentially going to be um, running in sand. You know, the players have gone, you know, L and Clinton. They, they've gone as far as they can go with just the gestures and, and the, um, you know, the, the protests and that kind of stuff. But at this point, you need multi-billionaires to begin to use their leverage to put pressure on these powerful police unions, to put pressure on mayors, uh, to put pressure uh, on state legislatures. You ask the question, uh, do I expect it? Uh, I, I expect if the players are going to exercise leverage, that's where their leverage should be. They should force their owners, who all you know said Black Lives Matter, uh, and allow them to protest. And say, listen, if, if this is what you believe, then we need you. Uh, we need you to join us, not as adversaries, but as partners. This is, this is about Democrats or Republicans, although I'm sure a large, a significant number of NFL and uh, NBA owners support the administration. But you know, you know, guys, they have. These, these owners or governors, as I guess they call them now, they've got a very unique labor force. Their labor force, their, their raw material of their industry is black muscle, black male and female muscle. And that puts them in a very weird position that they just can't let whatever conservative views about race and racism run wild because a, a lot of their labor force has family members uh, who have been incarcerated, Shout out, shout out, shout at. So yeah, Al, I mean, uh, I, I, I do. Um, whether you say do I expect it or not, I, I think that the players have to demand it. That you, you have, you've got to join us in this fight because, like I said, we've gone as far as we can go without your money, without your your leverage, and without your economic muscle. He's Bill Roden. He's a columnist for The Undefeated and a legend in the game. Thank you, Bill, for joining us here on The Intersection. Hey, thank you, guys. No doubt. Man, Bill, the, the thing about Bill is that Bill knows everything. 
So when you talk to him, it's like, well, tell us what part of this do you know? You know? Yeah. yeah. He's funny, too, because I um, when I go to NABJ and talk to young journalists or anybody really that's like an aspiring journalist, the first thing out of my mouth is, have you ever read $40 Million Slave? And if they say no, I'm like, go get it. To me, it's just one of those books that, well, it'll tell you a lot about Bill, but uh, it's it's one of those sort of must read. So uh, thank you for joining the program. What you don't know is uh-huh. that Bill gave me his personal copy of that book. Shut your first mouth. At the Undefeated. You what? Know Boy's got a lot of yeehaw out here. I'm telling oh, you what. Gosh. Anyway. The Intersection, where sports and social justice meet. Proudly presented by ESPN Audio and The Undefeated. You're listening to The Intersection on ESPN Radio. The ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Game over. Flu. Flu. She's Ooh. L. Duncan. Ooh. You used to see her Ooh. in the clubs in Atlanta dancing to this yep. song with all of your favorite friends from across the Atlanta <laughs> sports world. I used to just bang this song when I thought I was cool and had no friends. When you you're playing Call of Duty by yourself? <laughs> I mean, I never really played Call of Duty by myself. That's what oh, I do. But, okay. You know. <laughs> anyway, at Clayton Yates on Twitter, at L. Duncan ESPN. Give us a phone call, 1-888-ESPN, 1-888-729-3776. was definitely playing FIFA. Anyway, hit us up. <laughs> of course we you were. we will be able to discuss the matter at hand today. We're obviously talking about the NBA and how the work stoppages, whatever you want to call them, have affected the rest of the leagues. We've seen a lot of different leagues shut down games, the NHL, MLS had a decent go of this. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Major League Baseball is trying to figure this out as well. But let's get to some phone calls. one 888 espn 1-888-729-3776. Vic in Syracuse. You're on ESPN Radio. Hey, it's Jake. Jake, pardon me. What's up? Hey, that's all right. Hey, I want to get to three points as coherently as possible. Uh, number one, let's all keep in mind that Colin Kaepernick started kneeling when Barack Obama was president. So, like, this has been going on longer than 2016, okay? And LeBron James says, you know, we're not going to play again until they get what we want. Well, you know, if Michael Jordan had said that when Rodney King was beaten, we wouldn't have basketball. What I'd like to see as a protest is maybe every player in the NBA wear the number seven. Thanks for the phone call. I'm sorry. I have to cut you off there. I have to cut you off there. I'm not going to sit here and entertain y'all telling black people what to do in terms of how our path to safety and otherwise getting our voices out there is going to be the most effective. I am not going to do that. It is not productive. It is not smart. And quite frankly, it's a little bit emotionally insulting. It's very you know insulting. Why? Because y'all are not the ones who understand what the pain feels like. I've touched on this in the column that we talked about last two segments ago. Okay. Let the people who are aggrieved, and this goes for any group of underprivileged or underserved people. I'm only speaking on black Americans because I happen to be one. Let the people who are the ones in pain determine how to heal. That's how that works. Don't be sitting up here telling me about what should have been and what should have been this, that, and the third back in the 80s and all this other nonsense. People do what they can do. Anybody out here trying to impress anybody with how they get there, the idea is to be safe. Safety first. Oh, come good man. Well, he lost me right away when he brought up Barack Obama. I mean, the whataboutism is just, you know, this is, I mean, you know, taking a knee with Barack Obama as if, like, anyone believed that because, I don't know who actually believed that Barack Obama being voted president was going to be some significant change in the systemic racism that's been in our country for hundreds of years, but, like, you probably weren't black. (laughs) I tell you that much. I just, you know, 
and this, this anyway, goes back I, to the same yeah I, but it goes back to the same idea of what we were talking about before right with sort of like well what now you know that's what i keep hearing today and seeing today on all the headlines what now okay they did this they had this great showing of support in the nba and the wnba and naomi osaka and nhl and mlb what now what now what now what now like why are we left to decide what now why is it on why is the onus and responsibilities on the players to figure out what the next step is like they're doing what they can we're all trying to figure this out right like what yep. what what are we supposed to do clinton like what it's never good enough wear seven don't take a yeah. knee do take a knee do it on your own time do this don't do this do it here when we're here to have all voices. However, if you engage in bad faith arguments with people who are smart enough to know the difference, you will get this work. It's the intersection on ESPN Radio. I'm Clinton Yates. She's L. Duncan. One eight 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 say ESPN. One eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. Let's get a quick one in here before we move on. Marcus in New Jersey, you're on the air. Marcus in New Jersey, you're listening and you're on the intersection on ESPN Radio. Well, how you guys doing this afternoon or this evening? Uh, yeah, I hear you. Um, listen, speaking, um, being a black man, having a 19-year-old son, I speak to my son all the time. The one thing that I don't worry about with my son is some of the issues that some of these men worry about. And it's not because we live in a great neighborhood. I showed him where I grew up, uh, and it wasn't one of these worst cities. It, it was pretty bad. But at the end of the day, if you teach your children about respect, not only for authority, management, police, uh, mothers, fathers, and those situations, then I don't have anything to worry about, praying over my son and all that. And I think that there's times when we have to look at the totality of, of, of the situation. I can speak to being DWB uh, in certain neighborhoods. I can speak to those things, and I'm willing to have conversations about them. But what I think sometimes happens in this situation or in others is that we go right to, you know, why is why is he getting shot seven times? Why is this happening? But nobody talks about those who may have resisted, if that was the case, and getting all the facts. I just want to make sure that we don't go push so far on one direction that we lose sight of, of a message from the other side. We're speaking to our young black men. How to Thank treat not only call. each other, Thank you for the but phone also call. the police. Nope. This is the textbook definition of concern trolling. That's exactly what it is. Sorry, L. <laughs> That's, no, not, I mean, that's no, literally no, no, no. exactly yeah. what it is. You don't care about that. Because if you cared about that thing on third base, you'd be as concerned about how one got from first to second. That's how that works. You are not going to trick any of us with that misdirection. Go on, Al. Sorry. I just, I, you know, it's like I just feel like a broken record at some, like at some point, Clinton. You just have to say this is just willful ignorance. You know, like, how many names do we have to bring up? Like, where was Philando Castile given that same kind of credit? We have to abide. We have to do – we have to – we have to show unyielding restraint. We have to be, as black people, have to be the professional ones. We have to be the ones to show a professional amount of restraint, even though it's the police officers that are trained – to de-escalate, right? At least that's what they're supposed to be trained to do. And I'm so tired of going round and round about this. Well, let's just, yeah, you know, this man was no, he was no Boy Scout. He right. had a good knife in the car. He was wanted for, you know, sexual assault charges. He was, you know what? That 17-year-old kid, Cal Rittenhouse, not only first attempted to get deputized while holding 
an assault rifle, which is illegal, and he looks every bit of 16 years old. The cops not only said, we're good, son, but thank you, and let him walk off to where he then shot three people, killing two of them. Once he was done, he then approached the police with the assault rifle in his hand and not only was not shot, but was allowed to come over, have a discussion with them, and was released so that he could then go back across state lines go home, and turn himself in peacefully the next day. So miss me with this. Stop it. We don't have to be angels or Mother Teresa to not get shot and killed. Period. It's the intersection on ESPN Radio. How are we still talking about? Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm Clinton Yates. I understand, girl. (laughs) I I get it. I don't get it. For those of you who don't know, I happen to be a massive baseball fan, and I cover the game as well. I happen to know a lot of brothers in the league. One of them is Dominic Smith. I was eating lunch with him the other day. This brother was so daggone pressed on his waves because he's that real. He brought his own wave pomade to lunch wearing his cap. That's just so you know how real he is. Dominic Smith plays for the Mets. He's an outfielder. He was asked about this situation that's going on in America last night. And what he had to say is the best thing you're going to hear on this program today. I think the most difficult part is to see, like, people still don't care. And... For, for this, it just continuously happened. I mean, it just shows um, just a hate in people's heart. And, I mean, I mean, that, that just sucks, you know? And being a black man in America, it's, it's not easy, so. It's real tears, y'all. Okay? It's pain. Understand. We ain't out here crying to show y'all that we hurt even though y'all don't believe it's half the time anyway. That's just what comes out when you actually think about it. It's tough, people. This is not a television show. This is our lives. That's what the deal is here. So when you talk, excuse me, when you talk about, oh, well, if you had complied, oh, well, if you had done this, oh, if you had done that, it's like you're picking out some choose-your-own-adventure while you're sitting on your butt on your couch watching some character. That's not what it is, dog. It's real life for us. These decisions happen in split seconds. It ain't the philosophies. It's the reflexes that we're concerned about, El. Do you understand what it takes for black people to continue to beg this country for acknowledgement, for support, for compassion, knowing time and time again that you won't care? We keep doing it. Does that tell you how desperate we are? We're still doing it, Clinton. We're begging you. We're crying. We're bleeding. We're dying on camera. And for some of you, you're still hitting us with false equivalencies and whataboutisms. Don't you understand how desperate we are to continue to do this? It would be so easy to give up. And we still continue and persist and fight. Stop it. What else do you want from us? I just, ah. <laughs> Dominic Smith is a young man who's been in the league for a little bit. This is his first year really establishing himself as a big leaguer, and he has been tremendously diplomatic. You saw him kneeling at Shea Stadium. You might have seen the situation that unfolded today at the park where what the decision happened between the Mets and who they were playing was, well, they just said, we're going to put a T-shirt on home plate. It says three words, Black Lives Matter. A lot of baseball teams have sort of done this and sort of done that. I ain't going to worry about what people aren't doing. I'm going to worry about what people are doing. And what Dominic Smith is doing is showing you the side of a young man that is living his life in public as a result of the fact that he happens to be good at playing a game. 
I am telling you personally that he understands the value of his platform and he understands his own ability. So if you're passing judgment on who he is and calling him this and calling him that or weak or opportunistic, you're wrong. Flatly. Nobody does this for fun, period. 